Amen. Hey, this morning we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Again, this morning we're in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. If you want to begin to, to make your way there. Let me just remind us where we were last week and kind of the direction that Paul was headed. Because as we look at these four verses today, if we mistake the context that he was dealing in and working with, then, then it's going to mess up our application, kind of how we take these and apply these to our lives. So I just want to remind us of two things. Look back at verse 19 in chapter 9. Uh, verse 19 in chapter 9, Paul wrote and said, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I may win more of them. So in essence, Paul looked out and he made an observation that there were different groupings of people around him. He said, so I've got Jewish people over here. I've got people who just kind of keep the law over here. I've got people who don't keep the law. They have no regard for the law on this side. And he looked at all of these people and he said, my life is going to become like their life so that the gospel may be present in them. So he's contextualizing his message. He's changing the manner of his engagement. He's changing his life. He's changing uh, things about him, but he's not compromising God's word. So he's contextualizing his life for the express purpose of having a profound impact and benefit in the lives of all those he comes into contact with. And as we kind of went through this, we had this understanding that he, when he came into verse 23, he said, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. And so the gospel, we want to see paramount in the lives of all those people we come into contact with. And in order for it to be paramount, for it to be first in the lives of those we come into contact with, it has to be first in my life. It's got to be first in my life if it's going to be first, if it's going to be large, if it's going to be in charge of the lives of those that I'm expressing and saying it's important, it's valid, it's necessary, right? So if they don't see it in me, then I'm undoing the, uh, the efficacy, I'm undoing the, the, the power of my words through the course of my life. So how do we maintain the zeal? How do we maintain the urgency? How do we maintain the intentionality over our lives? Well, Paul gives us in 24 through 27 a statement directed straight to that question. So let's read through 24 through 27 together, and then we'll walk through. Paul says, or he asks the question rather, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable crown, a crown, a wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So in the context of kind of when Paul wrote and what he's addressing, uh, there's this thing that took place called the Isthmian Games. And the Isthmian Games would have taken place from around the time of 500 B.C. on up through the day that Paul wrote. And so they've been around for a long time. And, and, and these things took place just right outside of Corinth. So right outside of Corinth, every other year, you would see all of these athletes gather and begin to train. And as they're training, over the 10 months of their training, they would give up things that distracted them from being able to win the race. They would give up things that distracted them from being able to win this prize that he's talking about, this perishable wreath. And so they would, they would give up sex. They would give up alcohol. They would give up all these various things that distracted them. And so when he asked this question, do you not know that all runners run the race? They'd say, yeah. Every other year, we see all these lunatics gathered around, and, and they give themselves to this for 10 straight months. 
We recognize it. We sell food to them. We make clothes for them. We put them up as lodgers during these 10 months. And everybody all over the place in their culture would have celebrated those who were endeavoring to win. Notice they didn't just do it to uh, get a participation trophy. They didn't just do it and say, hey, you remember that time we took the picture together when we engaged? Yeah, we had no chance of winning. In the mind of every athlete was the express purpose and endeavor to win. So Paul asks this question. He says, but in this race, all runners run. He said, everybody that's out there, they are, they're running. They're doing everything they can for one express purpose. But only one of them gets to walk away with the prize. Now, if you're to look at the Olympics today, we have, uh, you know, gold goes to the person in the first place and, and silver to the person in second place and, and bronze to the person in third place. But in, but in some sense, they, they really kind of take this message that comes from Ricky Bobby's dad, that if you're not first, you're last, <laughs> Right? And so they said, there aren't any other places, there aren't any other things that are, that are good for us, but they really kind of appeal to this ancient wisdom found most adequately expressed in Ricky Bobby's dad. If you're not first, you're last. And so he asked them to think about this and, and to reflect on this idea. And so they think, you know, we, we do understand this, that these people are giving such an incredible portion of their lives, 10 months, running, exercising, fasting, fighting as they would do boxing and other events. So Paul says, like you get this, you know how much they sacrifice. Then he turns to the Christians and he says, so run that you may obtain it. Hold on, Paul. Like these guys really sacrifice. And Paul says, I know. He says, take all the positive things from their athleticism. Take all the positive things from their sacrifice and bring these same things to bear on your Christian walk. So the same things hold true, same things hold true for us today. We know what it is to sacrifice. We know what it is to work hard. And, and so if we look at the Olympics and people that train from the time they are three and, and four, and so they work themselves all the way up through to give themselves to an event that takes place every four years. So Paul would look at us and say, run, exercise, give yourself to this endeavor, and run in such a way that you may obtain it. It's not just enough to be engaged. Our Christian walks need to be those that are done urgently and done with intentionality. So the haphazard idea of being a Christian has no place within the gospel of Jesus Christ. This idea that if we just kind of show up and we're there and we're going through the motions, then, then that's enough. And that's what God's really ultimately calling us to. He said, no, that the way that you need to run, the way that you need to be engaged is to be the one that wins the prize. No, he's not saying that only one of us in here gets to be the one that, that wins the prize. What he's saying is the characteristics of your faith, the characteristics of the way you run need to be like the one who is going to win the prize. Look over at Philippians 3. Paul gives us a picture of it. Philippians 3 and verse 14. Well, let's start back at 13. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. What is this? It's this resurrection from the dead, the idea of his salvation. I do not consider that I have made it my own. 
But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the upward prize of the call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul looked at his life and he says, this is where I am, this is where I have arrived, but I do not consider that my Christian walk has ended. There's no like plateau that he looked at. And he said, look at me, look at all the various ways that I've suffered, look at all that I've given for the gospel, and this has been enough. And so it's been enough, and, and, and if you ever attain to this level of spirituality, then you too have given enough. He says, I don't understand, I don't ever think that I have attained to it, but I give everything I have to continue to press on for this prize. So Paul goes on to talk about it. This race that we're meant to give all, this race that we're meant to display urgency and intentionality. He says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. So he's asking them to call to mind how all these various athletes for the 10 months of their training, for the, for the duration of the event, and then every other year subsequently following. He said, you've seen these guys, you've seen these women out there and, and, and how they're struggling and how they're giving themselves to this. Every athlete has everything in their life fine-tuned so that they might be more effective in the race. Could the same thing be said of us? If we were to ask this question, is our life tailored and impacted? Are we cutting away things that distract? Are we incorporating things that add to? Are we even evaluating? Are we looking at our lives and asking the question and asking the people around us, what would you say about my life? What would you say about the way that I live? And they say, well, you're a pretty good old guy. You're a pretty good old girl. Yeah, but what would you say about me if you were to critically evaluate my life? And they say, well, I think you spend too much time watching TV. I don't like you anymore. Let me find somebody that looks at me and says, oh, I, just, I think you are the model of what it looks like to passionately pursue Jesus. That's the answer we want. But many of us, most of us, if we were to ask people, would you kind of evaluate me on the average of what I'm doing, not on my best day, not at camp, not on when I'm doing everything right, not when the, everything's going perfectly, but would you evaluate me in the average, in the median? Would you critically assess what my life looks like? If most of us were to subject ourselves to that type of critical, and I would say helpful, evaluation, we should walk away shocked. We should walk away disappointed. Because when we are, are critically evaluated, when we allow someone to dress us down, they're easily going to go in and pick up all the things they say, you eat too much, you don't exercise enough. You, you, your diet of scripture is relatively non-existent. If you treated scripture the way you treated food, you would be a biblical scholar, but you don't. You're starving yourself on the word of God. You're starving yourself in terms of intimacy with Jesus. And you're gorging yourself on all the various things that delight you. Paul says, my stomach is my God, and I follow its pursuits. And this is what many of us have made our lives. He turns to the athlete, he says, but the athlete, they know what they want. And they abandon everything else in the pursuit of this one thing. And it's empty. They've been everything else in pursuit of this perishable wreath, and it's empty. Do you know what the crown they received was made of? Wilted celery. Wilted celery. How stupid looking is that? Like it's not even cool looking celery, like fresh. It's the stuff that Walmart looks and said, we could have sold that yesterday. 
maybe this morning, but it's really not that great. And the manager comes by and says, let's leave it out. Maybe somebody buys it anyway. <laughs> it turns purple, right? You pick it up, it starts to mush. It's malleable. For a brief time in the Isthmian Games, they abandoned it, and they did a, a, a wreath that was pine straw. And it actually was pretty cool looking, but then they came back to the celery later on. He says they give 10 months of their lives for a perishable wreath. 10 months of their lives for something that has no lasting and enduring value. We do the same things. We as a whole are not a lazy people. As a whole, we're not. A 2014 Gallup study said that on average, a full-time employee spends 47 hours a week working. And this is just... Just this kind of average full-time people. But they said a quarter of all full-time people spend 60-plus hours a week working. We're not lazy. We're misdirected. We're not lazy. We're misdirected. It's this idea that we, we have this acute understanding that if I don't work hard at my job, perhaps they'll find someone else. If I don't do my job well, I will not advance if I'm not directing my kids to, to get a better education, they're just going to be average. I don't want average for my kids. I want them to excel. And so we direct them to follow our pattern of life. And so we sacrifice when it comes to work. And we work tremendous hours of overtime. And we sacrifice in our homes, making it hospitable, making it delightful. And we sacrifice in education, staying up late to study so that we can make the best grades possible. And we want to feel better about it. And so we bring in verses with this understanding that, that work with all diligence. And so we're kind of baptizing our efforts as workaholics. We're baptizing these ideas and saying, I want to bring glory to God in my work. And absolutely, that's true. But don't get the mistaken assumption that your work it, it, it somehow is a replacement for advancing the gospel in someone else's life. So if, if we're to take this understanding that you're going to spend roughly a third of your life asleep and a third of your life at work, then we come to this understanding that you cannot solely compartmentalize your life and, 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 and hedge and keep the gospel out of your workplace if you want to be ultimately effective for God's kingdom. So we have to find creative ways to introduce the gospel in the workplace. We have to find creative ways to introduce the gospel at school. We have to find creative ways to introduce the gospel in the marketplace. Or else we're going to work ourselves to just three or four hours a week. One or two weeks out of the month to be effective for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Take this understanding that that these guys are working for something that's perishable, it's fleeting, it's worthless. Nobody in the first century said, man, you've got that vintage celery wreath from two years ago. Do you know what that thing's selling on eBay for? Mainly because eBay didn't exist. But like, nobody's keeping this thing. They recognize it's perishable, but they give themselves to it totally. Do we recognize the things we're pouring our lives into are perishable? Money, success experiences. <coughs> These things are perishable. These things are fleeting. The gospel's enduring, enduring impact in the lives of those God has placed you around is imperishable. Your salvation is imperishable. We work, we exercise spiritually to receive an imperishable 
crown. Peter addresses it and describes it in 1 Peter, 3, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Listen to this. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So he says, this is where I am. I recognize that God deserves all glory and all honor and all praise because he has changed my heart. He has made me new. And he's done this not through me working harder, but he's done this through the sacrificial and atoning death of his son, Jesus Christ. And on the basis that he has made me new, made me alive, he deserves to be praised. He deserves to be worshiped. He goes on, he says, what does that look like? says, he's caused me to be born again from the resurrection of Jesus Christ to what? To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Waiting, waiting at the end of every Christian's life is a, a, a reward, a prize that we cannot set a value on. He says it's imperishable. It can't be, can't be degraded. He said it's undefiled. It, it, it can't be sullied. It's unfading. It can't lose its luster. Because it's not based upon our work or merit. It's based upon the merit and the good work of Jesus Christ. And so it's our reflection. It's our thought are thinking on this idea of, of Jesus and his work that compels us to give ourselves to run with endurance, to run with intentionality on things that truly matter. If we're to bring our work ethic from the marketplace and introduce it into the spiritual things, we could potentially fundamentally change our community. We could change our church. Least of all, we could change our own lives. But too many of us are satisfied compartmentalizing our faith, not seeing the true worth and value, recognizing this, that, that God's not giving you a shot in the arm saying, do harder. He's saying, that, that, be more dependent upon me. Focus more on Jesus. Focus more on the race that he ran. Focus more on what waits for you. We're changing, we're replacing our ultimate ends and desires for something lasting. He says it's kept in heaven for us. God is safekeeping our inheritance. So Paul reflects on this. So, so in, in essence, you can kind of see him look out. And so he gave a really hard teaching in 19 through 23 to the Corinthians, he's asked them, what areas of your life are you willing to sacrifice and change so the gospel might be more pronounced in somebody else's life? And so they likely did what a lot of you and I do. They look for the low-hanging fruit of ease. I'm willing to wake up earlier. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to stay late. I'm, I'm willing to, to do something that would make me a little bit uncomfortable. But he wants them to understand it's not the low-hanging fruit of ease, but God owns, he deserves... By virtue of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, he owns all of your life. And so he's not looking to pick off the low-hanging fruit of ease, but he's looking for you to give all of you to all of him, and that on the basis of that, that you might run with all intentionality, with all urgency. Your life is short. But all of us live our lives as if 
it's just kind of unending. But if we begin to look at it in the urgency of life, and begin to think of the urgency of I need to craft, I need to, 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 to conform all of my life to being maximally impactful into the lives of those around me, it begins to stand the chance of changing everything. So Paul, as he reflects on this, you can see him kind of inwardly yearn and desire the same thing that's true of him to be true of those who are hearing him. So he begins to, to give his own testimonial. Look at verse 26. He said, So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. So Paul takes two different ways of kind of approaching the games. And he says, You need to understand that I don't invoke, I don't engage in doing either one of these activities. And so the number one would be running aimlessly. The idea of running aimlessly is just running with, with no end in mind. Paul says, I have an express goal, I have an express objective in the way that I run. What is the way that he runs? He runs in such a way as to obtain, to gain, to receive the prize. Now this is a fantastic thing. If we're all supposed to be running for the same thing, if we're all supposed to be running for the same objective, the same goal, then when I look over and I see someone beside me veering off, what do I do? Do I look at it and say, oh, that's good, I'm beating somebody finally. Oh, I'm so glad they veered off. It makes me feel so much better about all the times I took a breather and I sat down and I veered off. You know, when I look over and I see somebody veering off and going the wrong direction, it gives me an opportunity and grace to reach out and pull them back. Because in faith, if we're all headed the same direction, if we're not kind of each running our race like this, this circuitous route, but we're heading with a specific direction to win the prize, when I see the manner or the way of those around me is not leaning in and seeking to win the prize, I'm calling them to come with me. Call him to come with me. It's so much easier to run the race by yourself. It's so much easier to look at this idea that all the people around me, they're an encumbrance to my ability to run this race because their issues become my issues and that just kind of muddies things and makes it more difficult. I got all this dead weight to carry. But that's not how he calls us to run. That's not how he calls us to run. So practically speaking, when you show up Sunday in and Sunday out and you sit in an area and then you look up and you don't see the people beside you who used to sit there, call them. Call them. Now, you may get some of the same responses I get. What are you doing checking up on me? I missed one Sunday out of 52. I have the flu. I'm like, we have an overflow room. You could have sat there. What's wrong with you? Only said that once. They didn't get that it was a joke. I, I got to be honest. I didn't get that it was a joke either. So, Man, we got to be intentional. If we're going to help each other to run this race, if we're going to make sure the people around us are, are not running aimlessly, we have to get to know the people beside you. If you're to look to your left and look to your right, if those people around you aren't family, there's a decent chance you don't know them. There's a decent chance that if they want a million dollars, you wouldn't be able to contact them, right? If they were dying unless you called them, you'd be like, oh, that's, that's real bad for them. That's real bad for them. I wish we had a pictorial directory. That would make it helpful. <laughs> Some of you are super, super specific on your information. That's why we don't have that. But 
It's this great deal. I can think about times that in my life, I think about being early in college, and I was running aimlessly. I wanted to be wealthy, and clearly I did not head in that direction. I wanted to be wealthy. I wanted to be successful. I wanted to be praised and adored. And I set my sight on people that wanted the same things. I hung out with people that wanted the same things. And, 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 I, and I hung out with people who were successful in that way. And so I began to tailor my life in that way. And God brought me to my end. See, I wasn't redirected because somebody came along and said, you seem to be aimless. You seem to have lost your direction. That would have been so much easier, and so much more delightful. God brought me to the end of myself. He brought me to see failure and to experience it because I failed. We can save the heartbreak of the people around us in this room, the people in our lives, if we would redirect them to pursuing something that matters, something valuable, something that's valuable, instead of merely them pursuing things that they delight in. Let us be those who run with others and call them back from their aimless pursuits. He says, I don't box as one beating the air. Paul says, look, I'm not merely over here kind of practicing and going through the motions. When I engage in this fight, I land my blows. As Christians, we can't be merely those who who give lip service to what faith in Jesus looks like. Those who just kind of come on Sunday, we open our Bible, we kind of flip through, and, and, and we're dressed well, and, and, and man, your attendance is solid, and so you're here at least 50% of the time, and you know when to say amen and when not to say amen. You know what's an appropriate time for hand raising and what's an appropriate time just to go, mm, that's good. You know, it's like you get this, you speak the language, because you're really good at going through the motion. This is not who I am. This is not what I go through. I don't box as one beating the air. I discipline my body. Now, this is the amazing statement that he uses here. There's on one hand, the idea of kind of boxing the air is swinging wildly and hitting nothing. But when he turns and he says, but I discipline my body, he says, I beat, I punch my own body. And so I move from not landing any strikes to landing all the strikes back on me. I find that everything in my life needs to be lived in subjection to who Jesus is, needs to be for his glory, for his renown. So anytime I find something in me, head to toe, that's moving out of line, I beat it back into submission. Why? Because I want the prize. I want the gospel to be paramount in my life, and I recognize that nothing in me is worth succeeding if I fail at the gospel. So he says, I take my life and I discipline my body. And then he has this fantastic statement that calls us back into verse 19. He says, I keep it under control. Other ways you could translate this. He says, I enslave myself. Back in verse 19, this is exactly the wording that he used. He said, I, I, I become a slave to those around me. I am useful to them because I want the gospel to be more pronounced in them and in their lives. And he says, I'm not willing to let anything about the way I live and engage be for my own pleasure and my own delight. I'm not willing to let anything about who I am to win the prize and and find me being disqualified, which is how he is. 
He says, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is a difficult thought for us, this idea of disqualification. And you could attend church your whole life. You can go through all the emotions and everybody around you can think you're the most wonderfully amazing follower of Jesus Christ known to man. They could say, what do, you, what do you know about Sue? Oh, she's such a good woman. What do you know about Joe? She's such a good man. You can fool everybody around you, but you can't fool him. You can fool everybody around you. You can be this critical fool who looks at the lives of those around you and critically evaluates them and says, I'm better than this person over here. I, I, I know I give more money. I know I give more time. I know I give more effort. A heart before God doesn't produce the same results as those around them. But it ends up in the same location. A heart before God, Paul's evaluating, and, and he's kind of defending his apostolic authority in the first part of 1 Corinthians. So there are those that, that like this guy, Apollos, and they thought that the way that Apollos brought the word was so much more effective and powerful than the way Paul brought it. They just really understood, and they resonated with him a lot more. And so Paul's got to go through, and he's got to talk about this. Like, what's the benefit of Apollos over me? Verse 5 of chapter 3, he said, What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. He said, look, we're, we're each playing a role. So you need to understand kind of how things are going to be in the final summation of life. So in verse 11, he said, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If, if you put your full faith and confidence in your ability to be faithful to God, you could run this life doing really well in the eyes of all those around you. If you put your full faith and confidence in your ability to be faithful, you could do a good job. But what Paul writes here, he says that only it gets to be one foundation. And that foundation is Jesus Christ. So I don't place my full faith and confidence in my ability to, to do well. I place my full faith and confidence in the fact that he has done well. That Jesus has done well. That he alone died. That he alone is worthy of me sacrificing all things. That he alone is worthy of me disciplining my body. That he alone is worthy of my service. And that in my service to him, I serve those around me. So he goes to describe this. He says, now if anyone builds on the foundation, so if anyone builds on Jesus with gold, silver, or precious stones, he says things that matter, things that last, and things that endure. So your faith is in Jesus, and on top of that, you give your time, you give your energy, you give your finances. There's nothing in your life that's off limits. So if God were to come to you and he says, Greg, I want you to go and to be a missionary to Africa, you say, I go. He were to come to you and say, I want you to quit your job, and I want you to, to, to just go pick up trash in the community, you'd say, I do it. He'd say, I want you to go and fight for justice in the inner city, you'd do it. So I want you to sell your house and move into a single wide in a community so that you can impact those people and live around them. You do. There's nothing in your life off limits. There's no academic pursuit. There's no professional pursuit that you would say takes precedence over him. 
And he said, this is the way and this is the manner that you live your life. And so you're doing worthy things. He describes them in terms of things that would have been precious to them, gold, silver, precious stones. He says, or there's wood, hay, and straw. Things that are ephemeral and passing. Things that just don't last and they have no real value outside of some utilitarian means. So he goes on, he says, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. Everything you do and everything you don't do will ultimately be evaluated on the day. On the day Christ comes, he will know your internal motivation. He will evaluate your your output and everything you did and did not do will be evaluated by him. This is what he's going to do. So we have this foundation of Jesus. And we have everything we've done in our lives and will do in our lives, building on top of him. And he says, this day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Depending on kind of where you are at any given moment, this is a really amazing sentiment or this is an incredibly terrifying sentiment. I'm thinking probably the majority of my life, this is a terrifying sentiment. That God's going to evaluate my work. That God's going to evaluate my heart. You only did this so people could see you. You only did this so people would celebrate you. You only did this because it looked so amazing, but it was so incredibly small and easy. Everyone, each one of us, all of our work, every true thing and every false thing will all be disclosed, will all be laid bare. And all that will remain is Christ. The day will disclose. And goes on, he says, and the one who built with these temporary things. If anyone's work is, is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And can we call each other to urgency and intentionality in the ways that we run our lives in this community? being completely dissatisfied with compartmentalized Christianity that that strips away the low-hanging fruit of ease from our life so that the people around us would say that we are sacrificing? Would we be instead those who followed the pursuit of the athlete, moving to fully embrace self-control in all things? Not for the failing pursuit of a perishable wreath, Success, money. But that so we might be faithful to Jesus in all things. Receiving once for all the thing that he is keeping in heaven for us that is imperishable, that is undefiled and unfading. Let me pray for us. Father God, I pray that you would help us to desire true and lasting value. 
to value those things that we're not able to produce on our own. That we would value you above all. And God, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts. And I pray for the person in this room right now that's just really struggling to know what is the right way to pursue you. Struggling to know what's the right way to sacrifice for you. I pray that they would know that in asking those questions, they are celebrating the sweet grace of Jesus. Being willing to sacrifice, being willing to suffer. And I pray that we would have a care for those around us. Those who are running aimlessly would be called back. Give us some care and consideration for those around us. Father, we pray for those who have yet to surrender to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That they would recognize that the race we run, we do so in following the path set out for us by Jesus. Our lives are built upon Him as the foundation. That all faithfulness we display stems from Him by the power of Your Spirit. So, God, that you would call them to submit themselves to you, that they would forsake goodness, that they would forsake any achievement, any sense of attaining to something in this life outside of knowing Jesus. They would see it as the ultimate value, the ultimate worth. So, God, we pray these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.